The recent events in Charlottesville have brought to the surface a national conversation around race, identity, and how to lead people of faith through events such as these. In this conversation, Rabbi Ari and Pastor Danielle discuss their responses as well as their personal experiences. Diversity, crazy world events, and the line that divides good and evil. This week on A Rabbi and a Pastor Walked In. are again uh, probably trying to process crazy world events which seems to be happening uh, more and more frequently although I'm sure it's much more perception than reality in it's many ways. It's much more perception than reality right. but but the, the Charleston, Char- Charlottesville. Charlottesville, yeah. uh, Charleston was, was one of them. Charlottesville, Virginia yeah. uh, happened last week and our president uh, assigning blame on many sides and then calling out by name Nazis and uh, and white supremacists and KKK, and then going back to the many sides thing a couple of days later, uh, has been a whip snap of emotions for a lot of people, right. um, and certainly a, a firestorm of condemnations all around. And we're not going to go into the politics right. about this. We want to talk about just responding to the concept of uh, of what do you do when things become banned in your society hmm. and they're done anyway hmm. and hmm. so uh, Danielle asked me uh, what are the what would I say to my congregation and I told her I'm retired I don't have to say anything <laughs> to my congregation and and it's true but the other thing that was more important was this was not a surprise to me hmm. so I've been following the growth of white supremacists and Nazi, neo-Nazi and KKK and other hate groups and survivalists and all kinds of really evil people right? for a long time. And so I'm just not surprised at, even I'm not even surprised at them coming out and not being ashamed to be who they are without wearing a hood because they've been doing that in places all across America. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Uh, to me, a lot of the shock and anguish is because people haven't been paying attention. Right. And I, I think, um, I don't know if our listeners are entirely aware, but at, at least one of the accounts of this last weekend that d- didn't quite catch as much press, at least mainstream media press, was that the uh, Reform Synagogue in Charlottesville um, you know, had to try to request police assistance and protection and wasn't able to get anyone just to protect the people their synagogue was threatened to be burned down there were militia that stood outside uh, across the street from the synagogue during services armed um, people walking by shouting Nazi chants and slogans and um, and 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 the Jewish community of Charlottesville going and worshiping right in in that under those setting under those circumstances that's not going to go away uh, for a long time, that experience for them. And while we may not be shocked that anti-Semitism and, you know, white supremacy and neo-Nazi movements are, are still a present in our society and in some ways without any shame. And maybe we have a little bit more shock that we don't have a, um, a national leader who is able to get us to a more perfect union. So that might be part of that loss. But I think for the people that went, and had and and chose to attend Shabbat services under those circumstances. I mean, they took in the account of Charlottesville Reform Synagogue. They said that they were they were 
they took the threat that their synagogue might be set on fire very seriously. So they packed up their Torah scrolls, including one that had survived the Holocaust, and, and took them out of the building um, because they didn't want to take that level of risk. When I read that, I wept. I just thought, I can't. I can't believe that we are still there, that that's happening. And for every person, just the thought, the picture in my head of you having to go into the synagogue at Eitz Chaim, right? And, and choosing to take Torah scrolls out and put them in a safe place because you don't know if your house of worship will be safe, if your synagogue and community will be safe for the weekend. I, I don't know. I mean, that's just got to be some You know, trauma. it's really weird. The very first time we had to, at, at the congregation, start having security on high holiday services. Right. Um, that was a big change mm. uh, in terms of how comfortable people felt mm-hmm. and uh and the changes that have happened to the jewish community federation office right. and the israel consulate and right. other things uh, other official jewish organizations and how much hardened they've been we've been able to get grants from homeland security to, right. to harden um when i first went to europe in 1980 uh, I was surprised at the level of security mm. in every synagogue in Europe, right. all being guarded by Israeli securities or you know, former Israeli security. Right, right. And it was hard as hell to get into these places. I mean, even <laughs> yeah. just to go to for services, I had to speak Hebrew to them at the time and, and, and just, right. I just here right. to go to services. Right. Uh, and, and coming from America, North America, right. I didn't experience that here and but this is back in 1980 right mm-hmm. and in california right i think things are different also in other parts of the country it's not all the same on near the coast no i and i i can walk around in town and we're just a wear a yarmulke openly right right it's not a but our orthodox tour guide in um, eastern europe um wore a baseball cap Mm. over his his right. kippa all the time. So right. he um he just didn't feel as comfortable there especially in Budapest. So, you know, this coming Shabbat, that community in Charlottesville is going to be going back to their synagogue. And they're going to be walking into that building again with the memory of the very recent memory of where those people stood with weapons maybe of choosing at this point to bring their Torah schools back inside, maybe not, right? Um, maybe still choosing to hire private security this weekend as well, maybe not. Um, that's a that's something that is in their current lived experience, right? It's not something that happened to their grandparents a long time ago in Germany. Right? It's, it's happening right now in the United States. And I think, um, I'm not saying it's prolific and it's happening at every single place and for for every synagogue, but that it happened recently in recent memory is painful and it's a, and it's a frightening space to be in, and then to feel like you're not you don't know where those anchors of security are for um, this is unacceptable or we have uh, people that will protect us or that have our back or that um, there's shame involved in this um, that that's a hard place to be. I remember when um, Spark first started. Uh, sharing space and renting space at Eitz Chaim, one of the first things you told me was, here is, um, here are emergency procedures, right? 
and you you pointed me into the directions that I needed to know just in case there was a security emergency. And at that moment, I thought, oh, oh yeah. Welcome to a congregation. Welcome to synagogue. a Jewish congregation, right? This is not something that that churches and, and there's been attacks in churches as well, ch- you know, Charleston for one, but but many others. But it's not it's not the same. It's not the same um, systemic issues so steeped in history at, at this point. It's true for Iraqi Christians, for sure. It's true for Christians in other parts of the world. Coptics. Um, Syria, Coptics, absolutely. Um, but it but it hasn't been true in the same way here in the United States. And, and I think um, many of us, many people who live um, in the majority culture here in the United States, myself included, you know, white, Christian, um, all, all of those other things that can sort of give us to put blinders onto the reality for people that don't live in that, um, that privileged position. We can forget um, that, it, that it is a privilege to be able to go to your house of worship and not have to worry about um, needing to remove your Torah scrolls because you're not sure they'll be safe that weekend. Or just having security of any, of any right. kind. We, right. um, it, it's something that you grow up with and and the world is nastier now, mm. more overtly nasty. Right. Um, people may have thought about you back then. I did, I grew up in a very uh, majority Jewish area of St. Louis suburbs, so I didn't experience a lot of the stuff that uh, other right. friends of mine experienced in neighborhoods that didn't have as many Jews. But when I got to college, uh, my first day in college, there was a swastika carved on my door. Oh. And it was there from the previous year, and they said, um, guys, I said, oh, yeah, because I asked them, I said, well, why is that there? They said, oh, yeah, there was this Jewish guy. Everybody called him the Hebe. He was just a real asshole. And I'm going, oh, boy. Wow. And he, he must have been a jerk because they were really nice guys. But the fact is that out of these really, really nice guys. That kind of language can come. That kind of symbolism right. would come. Right, And, um, I mean... I would hang out with them every day. They right. were really nice guys. I liked them a lot. <laughs> you know, they're all farmers. Um, and this particular, you know, all farmers and a guy who wants to be a rabbi. How did I get in that particular dorm <laughs> in the University of Missouri? I'll right. tell you. But you're, you're touching on something. <clears throat> you know, I think that when we read our history, we like to go, okay, good guys, bad guys. Right. So these people get the white hats and these people get the black hats and then they, you know, or there's like a duel in the middle of town. And, you know, we have these Western film movies in our heads. Right. When we think about history, we like to oversimplify the story. But your point is that these are really good guys. And yet they are voicing anti-Semitic sentiments that they haven't checked in themselves. They're using Nazi symbols to express their displeasure with a Jew. Right. And that's an awful length to go. <laughs> right. I mean, I don't know what he was doing. He, I don't... Listen, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. It's not appropriate. But, but the, the thing is that to you, aren't there other ways of disapproving with somebody? But when you right. pick a Jew, you put a Nazi symbol there. Right. And... Um, or if you pick a person of color, or if you perceive them to be, you know, I have friends who can, by just by the way that they're looked, they get questioned as to whether, where they're from. And they'll say, here. They said, no, no, but where are you from? Uh, San Francisco, here. 
there. No, no, but where are you from originally, right? I was born here, my parents were born here, but because of the way they look, the person questioning them doesn't believe them. I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw a curve at you right now. Mm -hmm. So when we were talking about using a Nazi symbol, a swastika, to insult Jews, what would you use to use black, uh, to insult blacks? And a lot of times it's a noose. Or an N-word or... Well, I know, but I'm just thinking mm -hmm. a right. symbol, mm -hmm. right? It'd be a noose, hanging a noose in front of their doors. Now, in Hebrew, Jesus is called Talui. Mm -hmm. And Talui means the hanged man. Mm -hmm. Because the word for crucifying right. was right. either to cross somebody... Or to be hung on a tree. Or to be hung. Right, right. To, right, to, Cursed is the one that is hung on a tree, right? Right, right. So, and then that word is talui. Mm -hmm. And so what would happen if instead of walking around with crosses as a symbol, you walked around with a noose? Yeah, no, thank you. Now, what would... Well, no, I, I didn't... Right. What I'm thinking is, would that include black members of your church even more so to think of Jesus... No, has, I don't think has, so. Has lynched? No, no. No? No, well, first of all, it's not historically accurate. No, right? I know it's not historically accurate. So I, I accurate. think... But, you know, it's like... Right, it, that's... It's Casting too, a, 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 right. a Greek play as if it's in modern times. So. Right, yeah. I'm... Those... Um, those things aren't uh, removed, <clears throat> right? I mean, there's... There are things happening currently in the United States where nooses are still being passed around, yes. where they're still being um, hung from trees to intimidate. This is not our, an ancient history. And so that's, um, it's, it's just not something that... If you want to make a Christian stand up and take notice about how the ideology they're supporting is inconsistent with Christianity, do it with a noose. Sure, yeah. I don't think we can do that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's only so much I'll let you get away with. Kind of no, no, no. I think it would be too painful. I think, um, you know, I think that's, this is the other. For So in our congregation, um, we have a lot of diversity. And so when events like this last weekend happen, we have a, a variety of responses. And we can have people who are sort of just awakening to the fact that this type of systemic racism and anti-Semitism um, has been part of our culture for a long time. And maybe they had bought into this um, myth of progress that they thought that we were getting better, right? Um, maybe they thought, well, finally, we have elected, um, a, you know, our first African-American president. And so now we're doing better, right? Racism is around anymore. We had our first president. But some people but bought into But, you know, that's that. why... It feels so bad mm -hmm. because we were so high, right? And now we're so low, right? At least, at least minimally in symbols. I mean, I think for yeah. my brothers and sisters of color, they would say, "Yeah, there was still a whole bunch of stuff happening the last eight years. It's not like that stopped, right?" Um, certainly, just electing um, a, per a president who was a person of color didn't all of a sudden, you know, change my daily life. Ferguson was still happening. You know, all of, you know, Tamir Rice and Trayvon Martin. Yeah, the and Black all Lives things. Matter thing happened during right. the reign of the Right, this is all still happening. Black president. Right. This is not, um, not something that has gone away. Uh, 
So, so this last weekend at our church, what we did was we have these five values that our church centers around, um, love, reputation, uh, reconciliation, rescue, and resurrection. And we put those five values up and, and tried to talk about how, you know, in the person of Jesus, we see these five values lived out, but we also see them as commandments to, uh, and as an example is what we are to do as a people. And so we want to love God, love others, and love even those we perceive to be our enemies. And this is what Jesus taught us to do. We want to experience that love, but also um, we're in need of it want to experience it and hopefully be vessels for it in our world and then for reputation I think there's many of us that feel like their reputation of God doesn't get um, a great rap sometimes here and we want to we want to increase the reputation of God in our community. So we do a lot of study and we try to really work hard on that sort of teaching and understanding of our text and of our faith. But I think one of the things that's also happened for many Christians in uh, this most recent time we've been living in is that they have started to become aware of the church, the, the evangelical white American Christian church, um, and its complicit behaviors in systemic racism and anti-Semitism. And when we've seen so many leaders in that church um, be silent in that larger church at large, um, be silent in the face of racism and um, anti-Semitism, then there is a really a deep anger that the people who are out there with torches and Nazi symbols this last weekend are also claiming Jesus. So there's this desire to, there's this anger filled for many people just like, that is not my faith. And I want to reclaim the name Jesus and, and and make sure we all understand what it's attached to because that is not possible for you to be a follower of Jesus and have that type of hate in your heart. And Jesus speaks to that and the the rest of the gospel speaks, you know, account for that into the epistles. If you hate your brother or your sister, then the love of God is not in you. You do not love God. The first, first John says, if you don't love your brother and sister, you cannot love God because you've seen them and you haven't seen God. So you, so you have to, you have to do, if anyone says that they love God, but they hate their brother, then God is not in them and they're in the darkness. And so all of this kind of language, we, we look into this and we get angry and we want to reclaim this message of Jesus. Or some of us want to walk away and we say, I don't want to be part of this anymore. If, if it's this easily confused and if Christianity is this easily co-opted by um, a silent response to this type of pain and hurt and hatred, then is that something I really want to be part of? And I think for particularly um, not just, you know, sympathetic white allies, but for particularly for people of color in our congregation um, and in Christianity in America at large, it's a really big question. You know, do I want to be part of something that uh, has these roots in systemic racism here in America and how do I wrestle with all of that and how do I deal with that and how do I deal with my anger when my church didn't say anything on Sunday they didn't address it or they you know, we did at Spark but others didn't right um, and so, so we tried to double down this Sunday on our values okay we're going to recommit to reputation of God we're going to recommit to reconciliation whether it's interfaith or racial reconciliation or our reconciliation of ourselves to God and vice versa like how do we do that and how do we bring then some hope and healing in the world and and if we're just feeling dead inside how do we find resurrection and new life um, so we kind of had that conversation this weekend and and it was helpful 
Um, but I know other people were saying things like, hey, if you go to church this Sunday and your church doesn't address the events of Charlottesville, then it's time to find another church. And then other people were saying, no, you stay. <laughs> you stay and you do the work. And you figure out, like, you stay white people. You do the work and you help people. It's not the responsibility of people of color anymore to keep teaching us, right? It's, it's our own responsibility to confess our sin, to understand how we've played a part or how we've benefited um, silently from the system and to start making changes. You know, and you mentioned people deciding to walk away from all of Christianity because of some of the Christians. Right. Or people who claim to be Christians. Whatever. Right. Because right, I'm not going to give a litmus <laughs> test. But... But that's the problem with all the yes. the role models that we have right now. So forget about glorifying leaders of the rebellion against us, right, right who were right. standing up for a slavery nation. Right. But it's true that George Washington and Thomas Jefferson were slave owners, and there was a situation during the University of Missouri stuff where I'm going tomorrow mm. uh, to watch the eclipse in my alma mater, University of Missouri. But when they had all that stuff going on a couple of summers ago, there people put post-its all over a statue of Thomas Jefferson, a slave owner, slaveholder, slave seller. And, you know, America was founded, half of the people who founded America were slave owners. Mm-hmm. Now, does that make America a slave concept? Does that make everything that Jefferson did, everything that Washington did? Because my feeling is, is I don't know where all this stuff stops. Right, right. But if we try to re-imagine mm-hmm. everybody in a way that, all the founders in a way that right. doesn't take into account their slave ownership, then right. we have... We're missing something. And if that taints everything they did, then we're missing something else. Right. I mean, this is to your point. When you were in college, you were able to be friends with people who would use such hateful language. Right. And so the The world wasn't as nasty or as partitioned back then. So. Right. And the point is that in, in many, in all of us, the line between good and evil runs down the middle. Right. That we are all, or we could go back to the Jewish teaching of Yetzer Hara and Yetzer Tov, right? We have the inclination to do evil and an inclination to do good. What are you going to do today, right? Each, everyone has the power to do good and to do evil. So where, you know, what are you going to do? Truly. My last question for you then is, um, if you start feeling, or if you're talking to somebody who is feeling overwhelmed. Um, anxious, afraid, they don't feel grounded in this moment. You know, the news is bad again. Uh, Barcelona today with the terror attack and everything else. It, if you're talking to say, what would your spiritual advice be for somebody who comes and says, Rabbi, I'm just overwhelmed and I, I don't know how to get grounded? My first thing to say would be, tell me about it. Hmm. Because usually people know the answer to their own questions. Hmm. They just have to talk long enough to find it. <laughs> nice, yeah. So I would not give them advice without mm. having listened to them of course. pour out their soul. Sure. And I have no idea what what part of them would be hurting mm. um, because it's true that people in a crowd are there for different motivations mm. and hurt on different words. Mm-hmm. So I just have to wait and see how they open up. And if you were feeling overwhelmed or anxious by the events or, or upset, what 
what spiritual practice would you employ to get grounded again? Breathing. No, not breathing. <laughs> um, I mean, you have a daily prayer practice. I do, but it's it's more, it's not so much a prayer as it is a a worship. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a ritual. Right. So there are times when I get invested in what I'm saying and use that as a way to springboard off mm-hmm. and to think of other thoughts. I, you know, I've been despondent about the way things are, even though they're not a surprise to me. I'm not shocked in any way, right. shape, or form. Right. And, uh, and I wonder and worry about the fact that this is the world that seems to be progressing into another awful phenomenon and my daughters, my grown daughters are growing into that world. Right. So I do worry about it and um, there's not a whole lot I can do except for the little things that I do. I'm not a major politician, don't want to be. Mm-hmm. I'm retired. <laughs> so the question is where can I make the little differences that I can make? Right. I can't make the big ones anymore, except for God willing, my book comes out, or mm-hmm. maybe our blog becomes uh, right. more listened to, and we can make some changes. But I, I don't know what I can do except live a good life in a small pond. Mm-hmm. So the next right thing. The next right thing. Yeah. As we say, mitzvah creates another mitzvah. Everything you do that's good creates another opportunity for good. Mm-hmm. So the more of those you can do, the better it is somewhere. Yeah. I find myself going back to the Gospels, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and trying to read the words of Jesus who lived during a time of occupation with the Roman Empire, um, trying to figure out um, how to love in that place and how to bring more of God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Um, so his teachings help a lot. And the example of, you know, in um, in his group of just even just 12 disciples, there was a zealot, right? So somebody who saw, at least at some point in time, the answer to the oppression with a fight. And then there was also a tax collector. So somebody who saw, how do I'm going to deal with this? Roman Empire, well, I'll partner with them. Right? We're going to collect some taxes. And and then people that, you know, young Jewish boys who, who grew up right by the sea as fishermen alongside others. And, and so somehow, and, and even in that larger group, um, Jesus is sitting at a table and some of the, the leaders in his time who he is connected with and has much in common with. And if we were to put Jesus in any particular group of his time, he would be with the Pharisees, with the rabbinic teaching, teachers and leaders. And they come to him and they say, you know, Rabbi, you're eating with all these tax collectors and sinners. There's prostitute at the table and there's all this, you know, mess. It's all messy. And um, Jesus tells him a parable and he tells him a parable of the lost things, lost sheep, lost coin and lost sons. It's this three part parable. And in each time after the finder, the shepherd finds the sheep and the woman finds her coin and then the father um, finds a son and extends an invitation to another son to come home. And each time there's a party held, but not for the sheep or the coin of the son. The party is held for the finder, for for God, because God has found the thing that God has lost, right? So the party is 
the shepherd holds a party for him, for God, for himself. The woman holds a party for herself and the father holds a party because what I have lost is now found. And so Jesus's answer to, Hey, you're eating with a lot of these ragtag, crazy tax collector, sinner bunch, right? What are you going to do about that? His answer is like, <laughs> I don't just eat with them. I party. And I throw a huge party afterwards and the party's for me because they're found, they're coming home. And so in, when I, my spiritual practice, if I go to the teachings of Jesus and I see their radical welcome, then I get convicted that I have to figure out how to extend that welcome to anyone who's willing to walk into the door, right? Not all behavior is welcome, but all people are welcome. So trying to do that even to the people that, and this is really hard, um, but even to the people that are carrying a torch, how do I figure out how for the sake of everyone here to reach out and try to pull you closer to your humanity to, cause right now you are not operating as you are created in the image of God. This is not how God has created you. Something has, has broken something deep within has gone wrong and you need to be rescued. And I need you to be brought home and closer to God's great love because when you aren't, experiencing God's love, things are going bad for all of us, right? So there's this wisdom in Jesus's teaching of loving your enemy, even though it's very hard. So I think in all of that, I find no simple answers, but I find some comfort in the fact that um, the way that Jesus lived in the Roman Empire at that time, in his very diverse community, was there was something about that that was working, that attracted people. Let me kind of end this on a note of holy envy. I always envy the fact that your congregation is like a spectrum of human bodies, <laughs> right? It's it's uh, people talk about diversity, and it depends on what you're diversing, right? But, right. Uh, but there certainly are people from all kinds of walks of life and different um, different ethnic and racial backgrounds in your congregation. Mm. And my congregation doesn't have that. Um, very very few that aren't just white. And I've always looked. If you go to Israel, there's a lot. Sure. But if you, but here in in North America, Jewish communities are pretty much white. So I do uh, I do miss that because if the if our congregation were the same as your congregation, then it would be easier for many of my congregation to have the conversations that your congregation has. Right. And uh, there would be a more heightened sense of awareness. Though, to our credit, they say you know, Jews may live like Episcopalians, but we vote like blacks. And so... (laughs) Well, I I think there is a long history in American Judaism for activism around civil rights. And Jews marched with Martin Luther King Jr. And there was, you know, Abraham Joshua Heschel there and many other rabbis. And I think um, there is that long history of activism. And that's not something... That's something that's in part of the Christian church, but not always in the evangelical church. So that's a, a holy envy back to you is to... So together we'll we'll find the best of our communities. And, and I'll say that uh, just one other last note of our many last notes, but when we look at even this relationship between our congregations, Jews and Christians together, when we look at the diversity that's in my congregation, these things are not accidental, right? We've both participated in trying to lead our congregations into dialogue with one another, um, whether it was our Holy Envy class that we offered. And within my congregation, um, optics are great, right? It's it's nice to for a person of, for any person to walk into my congregation and say, oh, wow, sort of everybody is here. 
But if we don't sit down, talk, share life, then it's just an optic, hmm. right? And diversity is very hard work. True diversity, true conversation is hard work. It's easier to hang out with people that we aren't afraid of offending, right? It's just easier. It's easier to have our own internal dialogue sometimes, right? There's times for just a Jewish community to have their own dialogue and to not have any Christians sitting in or listening in and vice versa, right? Because you can have a very different conversation than you can when you're trying to be careful not to step on 2,000 years of very painful history. Right? So so when we when you look in um, at our optics, which for which I'm deeply grateful of our of how God has crafted and created our community, they're not accidental, right? They're they're born of a lot of um, a lot of uh, hard conversations and a lot of mistakes and a lot of places where we've you know stepped on toes, but we choose to continue to opt back in and try to forgive and love and learn and listen. And, um, and for that, that is what I'm most grateful for. The people that keep coming back myself, um, to when I have offended, when I have made a mistake and they still know that it was not with intention, um, or maybe it was, and we still work it all out. You know, those are the times where I'm like, Oh, now we're doing something. Now, now we're cooking. Now we're cooking with gas, right? Things. Now we're starting to really love one another because we're we're more known. I know the thing is that most of the things that people talk about when they come to services is chit chat, right? And so you don't really get to know each other. Yeah. And uh, you you know you hear the headlines of headlines, and that's pretty much it. Right. So getting down to what people really care about and how they really feel about things with each other is right. very rare. It's rare and it's hard. And I think in a lot of, in the American Christian experience, in a lot of churches that have the optics of diversity, they tend to have white leadership. Um, so it's, you know, like a large church and there's primarily white leadership. And then it maybe reflects some of the community and population. So that's maybe a predominantly white church, but there's maybe some smattering of different persons of color that happen to come on in. Um, but then when events like this happen in Charlottesville and that leadership, if that leadership doesn't speak to the event and doesn't speak out about it or try to lead for it, what's happening nationwide is that those people of color are leaving because it is truly just an optic, right? So one of the challenges for us as religious leaders is to, um, to be people that can truly um, seek to shepherd well which means care for well and represent well and all of those entities, all of the people of our congregation, not just a majority or, um, or, the, or the majority that we're most comfortable with, right? And that, that's, that's also um, intentional and, and hard work, right? And you have a trinity of leaders. We do. One who's white, one who's Asian American, one who's African American. Yeah, Filipino. Yeah. And then um and then we have um different people rotating through our speaking and so that's good. I've I've joked for a few years like if you um if you're upset that your pastor might take up issues for women and people of color um then 
you haven't been paying attention to the fact that your church was founded by a woman and her husband and people of color. Okay. So we're, we're going to be, um, we're going to be a church that continues. And if you're upset that we're a church that talks a lot about issues of anti-Semitism, well, then you shouldn't be shocked because we meet in a synagogue. synagogue. And the reason why we're able to meet in a synagogue is because we know how to keep kosher, how to have a relationship within a Jewish community where um, there's been a lot of harm done over history. We have to be prepared to be able to make those um, those extended hands of friendship to one another. And that doesn't start with, oh yeah, no, sure, I just love you, right? It has to start with a lot of intentionality and, and a lot of willingness to to listen and to confess sin and to forgive and to love and to move on. Amen. Amen. Amen.